Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams, and it's nothing but the truth. One man's journey to find it. It is August the 14th. 2015, and we have the privilege of having Eric the Blacksmith on with us to have a conversation. Um, you can find some of his work on thinkobebeaten.com. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, the Anti-Federalists and the Anti-Federalist Papers. Um, I'll read this here real fast. It says, virtually unheard of today... And I'm doing the best I can. My eyesight's pretty bad, folks, as you know this week. So, uh, The Anti-Federalists provided um, powerful um, arguments in opposition to the reasoning uh, advanced by their uh, contemporaries, the Federalists, who supported the Constitution. Today's government, its uh, size and power, and em- emphasizes on the executive branch, or emphasis on the uh, executive branch, is an unfortunate testimony to the anti-federalist alarms. My goodness, I wish I there's something I do about my eyesight, but there's no way to correct what's going on. So, anyways, uh, Eric, the black That's bit, okay. You, you thank you. Got all you got all the words. <laughs> yeah, I struggled. I don't know if you noticed. I was like, man, it's all it's all. I got my right eye. One of the things is when you have these exacerbations, and this time of year I have one, and I get like these little dots in my right eye, and it just makes everything. Uh, blurry and dotty and weird, especially when it comes to reading. But I mean, I still can drive and do things. I just I think that's reading. Doesn't yeah, I'll, mention, I'll mention that, um, yeah, I, I, well, I'm 57, so my eyesight isn't what it used to be. When I was about 18, I had 2010. So I like to tell people I'm blind in one and I can't see out of the other. <laughs> that's pretty much how it is. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, Eric. Um, you know, uh, there are folks that listen to my show that that know you, like you. In fact, somebody just said uh, some positive things in the last show about you and said that you're great. And then at last, the something about the um, the Constitution is dead now, but all that kind of stuff. But uh, but he does. You know, there's a lot of people that really are like what you have done, and thank you uh, to Keith Hansen and. Uh, and Gordo for exposing us to you. I don't think we probably would have ever heard of you if it wasn't for them. And I would like you to share a little bit about your background, who you are, uh, why you came to this point, of, and why you decided to do this kind of research. It turns out to be very vital information because most of us never would have heard of this. And what are you also, if you, it, what are you doing right now as far as this kind of work? Well, at this point, 
Michael, I am uh, studying when I can and also doing more readings. Uh, I have put up the letters of Cato, seven letters, to think will be beaten, and also the uh, 18 letters of Sentinel. I've got 14 up there now, and I'm going to be uploading another four, I'm hoping, this weekend. I try to write some text and also include like little thumbnails with each letter to give the listeners an idea of just what the anti-federalists will be discussing. Uh, myself, I uh, first of all, you, can you hear me okay? Because I do oh, have, yeah. it's, it's, it's warm and muggy in southern New England right now, so I have a fan not too far from me. So no, I can't. Me, that's great. Sounds, sounds great. Sounds good. Okay, good. Uh, so I'm a little bit older than a lot of the people involved in the, I don't know, I don't even want to use the word patriot movement because I feel that I've veered away from many of the common sentiments of the constitutional uh, enthusiasts. Uh, I've used the term constitution huggers. But anyway, I, uh, I, was, I grew up in southeastern Connecticut. I'm the oldest of four siblings. Um, my parents are both still around. They live nearby. And I've been, oh gosh, I, I like to call myself jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I've really had a lot of different interests in my life. Uh, and like uh, the, uh, the moniker that I go by, Eric the Blacksmith, and it certainly alludes to a um, very much beloved avocation. Um, it's not a primary source of income at this point in time. I'm hoping it will be. But the interest that I've fostered in the works of the informer, for example, uh, as Keith and Gordo call them, call him the I-Man, uh, and I will get to the, the two gentlemen, Keith and Gordo, in short order. Sure. I was um, brought up in a pretty traditional family setting. I went to Catholic schools all my life, so uh, that's certainly a story in itself. Yeah. I um I grew up a Mormon, by the way, so we have similar, oh, yes. not the same yeah. backgrounds, but similar in a sense. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. <laughs> and I have been involved with uh, the defense industry for, for quite a number of years, so for the very longest time I was what you might call a rock ribbed conservative. You know, I used to practically uh worship the ground that uh, Rush Limbaugh walked on and many of the uh what I would call now neocon hosts. I was really along the, um, I, I told the line of the, you know, got to get the Constitution back crowd. I, um, have attended college. I went to um, school for mechanical engineering. And at this point, I do work at a large um, defense contractor, electric boat, and I'm in the new London facility right now, and I'm involved with piping design mm -hmm. and working on uh, a number of the um, Navy vessels, this particularly submarines. And Well, you're, not, you're, no, you're no dummy then. You know, I, I, tried, no. I was in school. I started out with uh, mechanical engineering and ended up in... Uh, uh, environmental science and management because I couldn't handle the, the physics. So, bravo to you, oh. friend. <laughs> well, thank you. I have, I have to say, uh, I got a little, I got a little help from my friends in thermodynamics. I, I have to, I have to say that much. But, and, I guess I really had uh, quite a very long path to reach uh, the point I'm at now. I used to be involved with Revolutionary War reenactments. 
I was with an outfit called the Lebanon Town Militia, which is still uh, an active reenactment group. And I've just gotten away from it because I've had so many other things to do. I really did believe for the longest time the the traditional story of America's founding. I uh, really did deify the founding fathers, and I believed a lot of the myths and listened to, like I was saying, a lot of the uh, mainstream talk show hosts and believed an awful lot of the stories that I was told. And then 9-11 happened. And I did buy the official story at first. And, and I certainly don't want to dwell on this. I'm just sort of passing over these points to ultimately get to, you know, what I'd like the meat of our discussion to be, the anti-federalists. But I do feel a lot of this ties in. Mm-hmm. I got curious. I at first believed the official story. And then I started looking around and I asked myself, you know, does this story make sense? So to skip many, many different chapters, I will say that I finally came to the conclusion that what we were told was not what happened. Uh, The story was a monumental lie. I followed for a number of years the researchers involved with 9-11. I certainly was a big follower of Alex Jones for a long time. And... I suppose as one goes through an evolution or a a path, uh, I'm not really sure what to call it. One comes to conclusions and stands at a point where he turns around, looks at where he was, and asks with incredulity, did I really believe that? That's where I was. So I'm going to say I, I must have listened to Alex Jones for, I'm going to say, probably three or four years. And then I looked around, sort of peeked around some other corners, looked under some other, uh, I don't want to use the term rocks, but I'll just say uh, objects, and found other mainstream alternative, that may be a contradiction in terms, but for the sake of our discussion, I'll stick with that, Uh, researchers and uh, what I like to call now patriotards. Huh. Uh, uh, Keith calls them patriotics. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and but we, by the way, I'm not laughing at them. I'm just laughing at the, the terms. So I just uh, yeah. And and I <laughs> in, in recent in recent years months I've I've um, cultivated what I like to call. A pretty good uh, cohort of of individuals, and we share emails, we share ideas, and I got curious. I stumbled across, to make a long story even longer, I uh, stumbled across um, Visigoth Law, the website that Keith had at one point, and it piqued my interest. There was a lot of unusual, interesting material there, stuff that I had not seen, and I believe around this time, or shortly, shortly, uh, I'm going to say after, he'd gotten involved with the gentleman known as the Informer, mm-hmm. who did an awful lot of research, along with a gentleman named uh, James Montgomery, and I'm sure you've heard these names before. Sure. But it, there's always new listeners, so it's always good to have them hear some things for the first time they may not have heard before. And I sent I sent him an email, and 
I guess the rest is is history. We we went back and forth for a bit. We communicated, and at one point he asked me if I would come on and discuss Sherlock Holmes. I've been a fan for the longest time of um, Arthur Cannon Doyle's works with Sherlock Holmes and the movies and the short stories, the novels. And we did, I'm going to say, maybe six or seven shows on the life of Doyle, the characters, and I even threw some sound bites into the mix where we would sort of put together uh, a presentation that, I don't know, I like to say covered all the basic food groups, you know, where it did have a little bit of entertainment in it. And, and you know, I have to tell you that when, there was a time when I did not even like to hear the sound of my own voice on a recording. So I really have to confess that I really hemmed and hawed when he first asked me to come on. I almost weaned out to use the uh, vernacular, but I'm glad I didn't. And he has spoken about people who didn't get back to him when he'd asked them to come on. But I figured, you know what, Eric, just grab the bull by the horns. And I'll tell you right now, to this day, I am glad I did. To be able to talk and think on my feet and learn a little bit about communication. And, yeah, I'm actually fairly comfortable hearing the sound of my voice. Well, I can relate as well, Eric. I... uh... For two years, I delayed doing what I'm doing this show, and I'm certainly not gifted in the, the ability to communicate. But uh, obviously, I, I needed to do this. And uh, one of the things I've gained from it—I don't know how, if, how you see it—but not so much about an ego trip thing and about me or myself and I. But but one of the things I'm sharing the information, is, even in my simple way, I've learned immensely. I've grown immensely doing my show that I never would have. And I never, if I didn't push the issue, I knew myself, who I am, how basically I'm a pretty lazy guy. And then I needed to do this in order to put the pieces together. So, <laughs> you know, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and he, uh, gotten involved with other things, and he's had, I guess his, his website's had several iterations. It was Visigoth, and then it went to Thinkerby Eaton, and then Angie passed away, who was the, I believe she was the webmaster for a time, and now we have, uh, with Thinkerby Beaton, we have Mishu, That's his right. nickname, and uh, he does a great job with the website, and Keith uh, eventually asked me to discuss the Anti-Federalists, we did the series called Phantasms of Freedom, Correct. where it was really a uh, it was a journey of discovery for me because as I was doing these shows, I was learning an awful lot about the real history of our country, to to shed the myths, and for me to to be honest, uh, undergo some some uh, painful realizations, and to admit that I'd been kind of hornswoggled. Some personal, about, de- some personal deprogramming. <laughs> yes, and, 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 and you know, it's, it's really tough to admit you've been scammed. Oh, yeah. And I've been scammed. Now, we did about maybe, I don't know, maybe 15, 16, 17 shows, and we've sort of done other things in between, but, you know, I had recently sent him a little something uh, in the in the mail that I made on the forge 
and just to show him my appreciation because uh, I'll say this, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, he's opened some doors for me, and I'm quite grateful for that. Now, Gordon Comstock, he uh, out, out on the left coast, he has come up with some very interesting research as well, dealing with the Supreme Court, dealing with the um, events in Quebec that occurred, uh, deal, dealing with the uh, money, the interests that came into New York City and the northeast part of the country and the eastern seaboard, basically uh, the robber barons. And he's done some very good work with his site. Uh, I believe it's, uh, is it Forbidden Knowledge? Hidden Knowledge, I don't exactly remember what his, his website was or, or what moniker he was using, but he's done some extremely interesting work in reading well, many part, of these, part of it was the Ministry of Truth, and then uh, then it was the I think it was Forbidden Knowledge or something like that. I have yeah. to ask him again. I know Ministry of Truth. I know whatever it was. You can't find it now. It's not. It's, I think it's on, it's for sale on the internet. I think right now it's like for a, you could buy it for like two thousand six hundred something dollars, something like that. But, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think even Gordo knows. What, oh, okay. And and here's the thing: when when he when when. Mishu and Keith got involved with uh, Think or Be Beacon, he'd asked me if I wanted to contribute to the website because for a long time I'd been thinking about doing my own website. And, you know, I, I'm still working full-time. I have a lot of things going on with family. And, and it was really a good opportunity to be able to contribute in my own way to the website. And, you know, I'm grateful for that as well because – I can upload things to the website and get involved yeah. and contribute. And, and I feel like that, well, I certainly feel it's worth my while, and I'm glad I'm able to do it. And I'm going to continue reading the Anti-Federalist Papers. And I've got a couple of other things up there as well. There is a, a local radio station, a college radio station that I deal with, and it's up on the website. And there's a gentleman that I fill in for and I have subbed for him a couple of times, actually more than a couple of times, and I have the shows archived, and what I'll do is I'll put them together in an MP3 file and upload. It's sort of a diversion. You know, it may not, it may not deal with the anti-federalists and politics, but we try to have some things on the website that are diversions, that are fun. Sure. And I also did a classical midnight show, and I'm going to upload, I'm, I'm hoping to upload one of those shows, uh, maybe some more in the future, that I did. And I, it was called Sounds Before Dawn. And one of the things that I would do along with the music, and I really tried to concentrate on the lesser-known, very obscure classical composers. And if, you, if one looks into the history of the mainstream composers, one finds a sort of parallel trajectory to the story we've been told about our country. That, uh, for, I'll give you, for instance, that Mozart, there, there is a, a growing school of thought that Mozart was a fraud. <laughs> kind of, kind of like, kind of like uh, Shakespeare type of thing. Yeah, precisely. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's a whole that's a whole mountain in itself, and I won't even go any further with that. Sure, right. we could do a whole show on that one. So. Oh, yeah, but there is a fascinating uh, collection of composers that nobody's ever heard of. And I would also do 
dramatizations. Uh, for example, one show I, I played The Sign of the Four, which was Doyle's second Sherlock Holmes novel, where Dr. Watson meets his wife. And it has to do with an old uh, pact between four guys, four men who were in the um, in Asia, in, in the, the uh, Indian region. Asian Indian region, and it's it's quite a fascinating tale. And I would play these these dramatizations. And one uh, book I also played was an audio book about the scorpion. And there were recently declassified documents that show that the scorpion was sunk by the Russians with full knowledge of the United States as a quid pro quo, because the United States had sunk one of the Russian ships near Hawaii. And it was a book called All Hands Down, and I've got the discs. They're all archived, and I just need at some point, I just need to upload those programs as well. I'm hoping that that I can do that. But it's been a fascinating, it's been a fascinating journey for me, and I've learned an awful lot. And you know something else? I've made some really cool friends in the process. Sure. We're kind of, we're kind of spread out. Uh, there was a gentleman, there's a gentleman who is involved with the Uticans for 9-11 Truth, uh, Herb Smith. I believe he's in, he was involved with Andy Sr. for a time. He was in Hartford. His stepdaughter got married, and we actually had a chance to meet. I hopped on the Yamaha and went up to Hartford, and we sat and we talked for probably about an hour in the hotel lobby, and it was really neat to be able to put a face to a name because we're all so spread out. You know, Gordon's out in California, Keith is down in Florida, you're in Ohio. I mean, we're just, we're kind of spread out all over the place. Liam's over in Ireland. But it's been, you know, what I like to call e-pals. And it's it's really been a a pretty neat thing, something that I had never experienced before. No. So in your, in your day-to-day life, you won't. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, I at, at, at work, um, I'm also involved, very involved with the union. I'm a shop steward. I'm also a trustee with my local. So that's, that's needless to say, a very interesting uh, day-to-day uh, exercise. But there is, because, because I work, and here's, here's an added fact, too, fun fact, as I like to say, that when you work in a military, when you work in a defense contractor, there's going to be a lot of patriotism. There's going to be a lot of belief in the, in the myths of our country. And I don't know if I made the mistake or, or, or did the correct move. I'm still trying to figure out what it was of trying to tell some of the people that emailed me items at work that you guys are believing in myths, that you guys have been hoodooed uh, or, or kitted, and that here's some interesting information that you might want to look at. And one would think that I, um, oh, I don't know, committed one of the worst crimes you could imagine Uh, because I am coming to the coming to the conclusion that people like to be beguiled we love our we love our we love our lies we love a lie more than the truth yeah and and it gotten it had gotten to the point where one individual I mentioned the because he he was talking a lot about the Federalist Papers and I admitted to him I said okay yes of course I've heard of the Federalist Papers but, you know, I have some interesting information about the Anti-Federalist Papers. And he looked at me and he said, what are the Anti-Federalists? What are the Anti-Federalist Papers? 
And here's an individual who had a pretty good grasp of American history. And to me, it was a beautiful example of how history, well, what's that they say, Michael, that history is written by the winners? Oh, yes. The victors. The, the victors. victors rewrite victors the write the history book. And I, what put me, really, what put me onto the path of the Anti-Federalists, probably more than anything else, was during the series of interviews that Keith did with the informer. The, uh, the informer was talking about the Anti-Federalists, and you know how you see in the cartoons the little light bulb goes off on, over your head? I said, geez, you know, that sounds very interesting. I want to look into this more. And the Federalist Papers, we know them as being written primarily by John Jay, uh, James Madison, and you know, Alexander Hamilton. There were 85 of them. And basically, I like to refer to them as ad copy for the Constitution. Now, all, all these gentlemen were Esquires, too, right? For the yes, they were. Okay. Yes, they were. And if, uh, you're, are you, you might be familiar with the original 13th Amendment. I know about it, yeah. Through, actually, okay. through Gordo and uh, Think of Rebeaten and you guys got your conversations yeah. with Keith and Gordo. Yeah. So, speaking of Esquires. And they were a very limited, very erudite trio. And if you read the Federalist Papers, you will read very thick legalese. That's how I like to put it. And I hear a lot of the talk shows discuss the Federalist Papers. I really don't hear much about the Anti-Federalists, if, if anything. And I've used the term parchment worship which is really what we're involved with, with the Constitution. I've come across some fascinating books as well. Now, the Anti-Federalists were from a much wider swath of the American population. I like to say, and, and this might be a familiar saying to some of the circles we've traveled in, these individuals were from Yale to jail. <laughs> They ranged in origin from Yale to jail. Now, Herbert Storing compiled over the course of a couple of decades. He's gone now. And I believe a protege of his, I don't know, either finished the work, the Anti-Federalists, that was the title of it, very scholarly work, approximately 1,800, 1900 pages of writings, letters to the editor, debates, speeches by the Anti-Federalists. I just don't have the approximately $400 to cough up for the three, the three bounded volumes. So what I've been able to do is get some other books. I'll look on the Internet. For example, the uh, gentleman by the name of Philly, Philadelphiensis, who Sentinel does refer to as being denigrated by a, a, a well, federalist. And he calls this guy out. And this is going to be in letter, I believe it's letter 17, which has yet to be uploaded. And there is a thumbnail that I write, and I do talk about that. But the next series of readings I'm going to do will be from Philadelphiensis. He was an Irish immigrant. Interesting. Interesting. So there were, I've heard it said that there are 85 primary anti-federalist papers. I'm not sure really where they got that number but there was a very wide swath of people 
who were not in favor of the Constitution at all. I like to say that the Constitution was the Obamacare of its time. Yeah. You know, and there's another, uh, was, I played somebody, their video, and he mentioned that is the, it was, the Constitution was a Trojan horse. Yes. Very interesting uh, way of looking at it, especially when you realize who actually truly has benefited from what we know as the Constitution. And you start to realize, well, there's some validity to that. That it is pretty much, in a way, a, a Trojan horse. And, um, well, we can go on there. So what were you going to say about that? Oh, well, I've come across some very fascinating books. There was one book, and this this deals with the study of the Constitution, not so much the anti-federalists. And I have talked about this book uh, on a number of occasions with, with Keith and with Gordon. And it's by Kenneth W. Royce, and it's called Hologram of Liberty, the Constitution's Shocking Alliance with Big Government. (laughs) And there's a whole boatload of information in here. This guy, Royce, really did his homework. He's the author of other books as well. He finally got sick of trying to convince the sheeple that something's wrong, and he finally just kind of chucked it and said, you know what, I'm just going to go out and enjoy my life. I'm tired of trying to convince people of stuff that they may not ever be able to be convinced of. I can relate with that. And I think uh, other folks like Gordo and uh, Keith Hansen as well, so I can relate with that. So those who spend a long time trying to share the truth or the message with people about, you know, there's something not quite right with the world and we need to get together and figure this out for ourselves and do something about it the best we can. Now, people okay. don't want to, they don't really want to do anything about it. They want to be really proactive about it. But it, I guess the, the, as we know uh, in our, you know, well, as I know, as you know, we all know, that before you can deal with the problem, you have to recognize what that problem is. And uh, uh, it comes, you know, we believe in all these uh, idolatrous notions, these fables and these fairy tales, these um, propaganda from the state, if you will, and it's, as Keith says, uh, where they, they, we've been propagandized to think that we could never be propagandized. That's what the American condition, that's the American condition, and uh, once you can embrace and accept that, that we're really no different than anybody else out there, when it comes to the ruling elite, if you will, and all that entails, but uh, we need to really question anything that we're hurt, we hear. It's, it's it's wise to do that. It's not being negative. It's just being wise. Well, for the longest time, I mean, I, and, and like I was saying, I've been involved in a number of different things, and among them, I, I, I am a, um, a firearms enthusiast. I've, I've done quite a bit of shooting. Of uh, I, I've Basically, if it shoots, I like it. Everything from pea shooters to, you know, 50 cals and everything in between. I have a special soft spot for muzzle loading. Uh, and, of course, Connecticut being uh, not exactly a gun-friendly state for anybody who likes to shoot, I would feel like I was banging my head against the wall saying, well, geez, you know, it's in the Constitution. We have the Second Amendment. You know, why is this, why is this right constantly trampled on? Why is it basically ignored? How come these politicians can keep passing these laws? 
how come this, how come that? And that was another thing that led me into studying some of the the things that were discussed on the website. Uh huh. And I got a hold of some of the informer's works. In fact, uh, uh, Keith blessed me with a number of them, and I looked into what he what he did, what he researched, what he found, and everything I looked into. It's all checked out so far. Oh, yeah. It's all checked out. I'll give you a good for instance. Okay. He was saying, he was saying that we don't really own our own property, that we, we pay a fee simple tribute to certain agencies, entities, call them what you will. And my wife and I, not too long ago, well, a few years ago, actually, it was a little while ago, we remortgaged the house. And I saw a copy of my mortgage. It was uh, it was on the kitchen table, and my name and my wife's name were on the mortgage, listed as tenants. Uh. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing at the circumstances and the fact that it's the reality. And if you're really, by the way, some of those certain entities they will lead you back to. Uh, London and the papacy. So. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's, uh, that, thank you. I was. I was. You, you. I didn't have to say it. You did. No. I, and, I spend, If you ever pay attention to my show, I spend a lot of time trying to really get to the truth. And uh, I'm, yes, I, you do. I spend a lot of time actually talking about the papacy and what it's all up to. So, and London, and and they're, you know. Yeah, I, I have. It's interesting. I have in-laws in London, and in fact, one of them was uh, very involved with the city of London. He's retired now, but to go over there, I've been over there like three times, and it's, it's a fascinating city. And there's, you know, certainly a lot of a lot. I lived, of I actually there. lived there for two years, so I know about London. Really? Uh, oh wow! Okay, Didn't but I'm one of those guys that I walked by Big Ben and never went in though. So I was too busy. Oh. <laughs> I went there originally as a Mormon missionary when I was a Mormon, uh, and towards the end of my mission, I left the church. But like nice, like sixty percent of all other uh, missionaries that go on a Mormon mission, they end up leaving the church. But um, yeah, so I had a, a very interesting experience, one that I I've, I value immensely, and I ended up actually meeting my ex-wife over there, and was married for twelve years, and she was half. East Timorese and that Portuguese. So I have an interesting. Uh, at least my my early twenties were very interesting. <laughs> wow, Portuguese. My wife has some Portuguese blood in her. Yeah, it's uh, interesting lineage. I, and I, you know, I also, as when I was growing up, yeah, my dad he was in, very involved with. Um, with the defense industry as well, and and I've shared this story where as a younger, as as a young kid, as a boy, you know, my dad and I would go out fishing, and he would bring his friend, he would bring his friends onto the boat, and he, you know, I'd be up at the wheel steering the boat, and he'd be, you know, towards the back of the boat with his friends, or vice versa. If we caught fish, I'd be in the back of the boat dressing out the fish. He'd be up at the wheel with his friends. You know, they'd be yucking it up and, and, you know, having some beers, and they'd be talking about things that really made me perk my ears up. You know, he he had some friends that were ex-Navy SEALs. He had, you know, friends that were involved with the, um, you know, with with the Navy and NAVC, and, and some of the things they talked about 
didn't quite jive with a lot of the history that I'd heard. And Keith has told a similar story with his dad. So Yeah, and, and I have my experience, too, because my father fought in the Korean War, mm-hmm. and he had a very bad experience, obviously, with the Chinese chasing him out. <laughs> I can tell oh, you yeah. that. I, actually, I've shared that on one of my shows, an interview with Johnny Ferrucci about uh, that, uh, some of the letters that he wrote to my mom, and the living hell that it was over there. That they oh, absolutely. And then my big brother, he... For a little bit, I guess, was just a Green Beret and tried to be into the medics and all that kind of stuff. So then he got married, got out of it. So, and they all both told me basically, don't do it. <laughs> well, and that, that's yeah. My my uh, my my wife, her dad was a 22-year Marine. He fought in World War II. He fought in Korea. He was, uh, I believe, it was Operation Plum Bob out in the West, the Southwest. And he told he told his son. You know, you, you might not want to get drafted. One way to do that to avoid is to say is to, is to claim migraines. Really, that's all it yeah. took. Migraines. Wow. Yep, that was one. And there were other things as well. There were other things as well, but he really was involved with some very heavy stuff. And you know, he came back and he just was never the same after that. And the Marines all but swept the situation, his, uh, the, the reality of his situation, at least, at least as far as his family goes, under the rug. Right. And it's unfortunately an all-too-common story. Yeah, I had a couple of uncles also that... Uh, I had an uncle in the Vietnam, and I also two co- uncles that died in Korea in the concentration camps over there, prison camps. And, so, and just trying to find any information about them has been a bit of an, uh, uh, a nightmare for my mother and the family. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, 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 if you have a family this, of any kind of significant generation in this country, war has been, it's been part of your family life. And well, it's something to really take it seriously and really inquire what's it all about. And when you finally realize why these wars are what they're really about, where they lead to, you're just like, my goodness, all these young men and women. Cannon are father. Cannon father, that's right. I mean, I mean, if, if we go all the way back to now, we could lead us back to this anti-federalist in the time period of the revolution and all these these young men that were dying for something that they didn't realize or that was not, they, were, they weren't telling them the truth why they, what they were dying. No. And as far as the things I heard when I was a kid, you you go on with your life, you kind of hang them on the hook, as as an old friend of mine would say, you know, put it on the hook for now and maybe refer to it later. And something just didn't seem quite copacetic. And you you can't really grasp it in a concrete way until you get some experience in life. You, you You know, you kind of get banged around by life a little bit. You learn some lessons. I mean, I made every mistake in the book for crying out loud. Um, my hands up too, my friend. <laughs> I'm guilty as charged. So. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess I came to this realization after a lot of soul searching, and I'm glad. You know what? If I could do it again, I would have done exactly the same thing because I'd much rather know what the real deal is than to not. You know, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do feel like I'm a lot more clued in to the reality of the situation 
today, say, than I was maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I'm certainly grateful for that. And, of course, the anti-federalists, they were no angels. They had their quirks and foibles just like any other human being, and it certainly comes with the flesh. And there were so many individuals back in that day after they'd gotten the Articles of Confederation, there were so many individuals who maybe couldn't put their fingers on exactly what it was, but they just felt that something wasn't right. Well, the Anti-Federalists certainly addressed that. And here's one thing that people may not realize is that these people, the founders that we hold in such high esteem, used the Postal Service to intercept, destroy, censor communications between the Anti-Federalists. Sentinel refers to it in his letters. In fact, a number of the Anti-Federalists refer to it. There were newspapers, there were editors that were bribed by the Federalists, by our founders, to either stanch commentary by federal uh, anti-Federalist authors. There were violent attempts to force individuals who were against the Constitution to vote in favor of it. It's interesting, it's interesting that Madison, the the uh, transcripts of the proceedings of the Constitutional Convention, if memory serves, were to be locked away for 50 years. Really? Yes. That they were not allowed to be seen for a long time. And there's an interesting excerpt, and I've, I've addressed this before, but I'll read it again, if you don't mind, that deals with the sentiment at the time and this is from Henry Mayer, A Son of Thunder. This was a, this was a book about this was a book about Patrick Henry. And of course the old story is if Patrick Henry was an anti federalist and he was against the Constitution, why did he sign on to the Constitution? Because he was an Esquire. Right. A favorite story circulating in Richmond on the eve of the assembly session told of the old Pennsylvania wagoneer who complained that the Federalists were trying to trick the people into accepting a plan that would oppress them. Quote, It is for all the world like me and my wagon horses, the driver says. When they are grazing freely and need to get in harness, I whistle to them, coax them, and stroke them. It makes as if I only mean to feed and curry them and so's to let them go again. Just so, the Federalist gentleman coaxes and wheedles and palavers us silly doodles that this here newfangled government may catch us, telling us that we may go loose again when we please. But my mind misgives me. When once we are caught, we shall be fast bridled and harnessed like my horses." Unquote. The story ends with the sound of the cracking whip and the cry, gee, you sons of bitches. That's from Henry Mayer, A Son of Thunder. Now, it didn't take a, a rocket scientist or a poli-sci professor to figure out what was going on. Wagoneers understood it at the time. One of the problems is that the common, you know, the common people of the time, 
you know, the Joe Lunchbuckets and the Sally Soccer Moms of the time, they weren't really organized through any kind of formal communications. And by the time most of these people had even read the proposed Constitution, it was locked in in nine states, which is basically how they arranged it for it to take effect. And what happened was you had the Federalist cities, you had the anti-Federalist countryside. I know that may sound like a simplistic you know, delineation, but it's pretty close to really what was going on. Sentinel in his, I believe it was his letter 18, or it's his essay 18, he spoke of some of the numbers, and, and that will, like I was saying, that will be up on Think or Be Beaten, I'm hoping this weekend, where he actually lays out the arithmetic and he talks about the proportions, the fractions, the percentages of people who are actually in favor of the Constitution and approximately one in four in Philadelphia at the time were in favor of the Constitution. That's in Philadelphia. Now, uh, in, the con- in the countryside, he was talking about maybe a large assembly where only a handful of people would be in favor of the Constitution. So in general, the sentiment was not in favor The Federalists, of course, were were, uh, down there on the pretense, you know, uh, under the rubric of, well, we're going to tweak the Articles of Confederation. And the Articles of Confederation actually worked very well. They worked very, very well. And there was a lot of panic fomented by the Federalists through controlled newspapers at the time. You know, people who think that censorship and false information and lies and bullying on the part of elites is a relatively new thing, really needs to look and really needs to review and rethink it. What happened was there was almost no support for the Constitution amongst the common people. In fact, Rhode Island, the state of Rhode Island, where it was small enough, it was a small enough state for it to actually be voted on. The Constitution was actually voted on in Rhode Island, the people rejected it 11 to 1. Now, Washington got word of this, and this was approximately 1789 or 1790. This is George Washington, the founder of our country, the father of same. He threatened an embargo of Rhode Island unless they signed on with a roadie. So there was a very strong anti-federal contingent in the state of Rhode Island. Well, Rhode Island ultimately did consent to the Constitution. I'm not sure if it was somewhere in June of 1790, 1791. North Carolina was another, you know, another recalcitrant. They did not want to sign on to the uh, Constitution, but they were given the the oily promise that there will be a Bill of Rights and it will, you know, you guys will be taken care of. So and then, of course, we can get into the Whiskey Rebellion of 1794, and that's that's a whole that's a whole series in itself. And it's interesting that Washington happened to be involved with the making of whiskey as well. Imagine that. <laughs> our our boy George had anger issues. I don't know if people realize that he had some serious anger issues. But there was a letter on the date of the 28th of January, 1788, the State Gazette of South Carolina 
actually wrote an article. There was an editorial on the new constitution. And this was the letter. This was actually an editorial, or an op-ed, I should say, about the Constitution. And I'll read it. In the evil hour, his pen, Squire Adams, drew, claiming dominion to his well-born few. In the gray circle of St. James placed, he wrote, and writing, has his work disgraced. Smit with the splendor of a British king, the crown prevailed, so once despised the thing. Shelburne and Pitt approved of all he wrote, while Rush and Wilson echo back his note. Though British armies could not here prevail, yet British politics shall turn the scale. In five short years of freedom weary grown, we quit our plain republics for a throne. Congress and President full proof shall bring a mere disguise for Parliament and King. A standing army cursed the plan so base, a despot's safety, liberty's disgrace. Who saved the realms from Britain's bloody hand? Who but the generous rustics of the land, that freeborn race inured to every toil, who tamed the ocean and subdued the soil? who tyrants banished from this injured shore, domestic traitors may expel once more. Ye who have bled in freedom's sacred cause, ah, why desert her maxims and her laws? When thirteen states are molded into one, your rights are vanished and your honors gone. The form of freedom shall alone remain, as Rome had senators when she hugged the chain sent to revise your systems not to change sages have done what reason deems most strange some alterations in our fabric we calmly proposed and hoped at length to see ah how deceived these heroes in renown scheme for themselves and pull the fabric down bid in its place columbia's tombstone rise inscribed with these sad words here, freedom lies. <laughs> now, now, I is, have, is that lies like uh, 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 lying on the ground or like uh, telling the fib? <laughs> well, be, yeah, buried. Freedom, yeah, freedom lies in the ground. Okay. And I have looked all over for this this poem. I've not been able to find it except in the book, unless you know I didn't do much of a web search. Maybe I tried to. But you know how that can be. That can be really hit or miss if you're looking for stuff on the internet. Well, it's a very powerful poem, and it really touches on a lot of bases. If you once you yeah. understand what those bases are, so right. This is from this is from Hologram of Liberty. Now, Kenneth Rice, Roy, not Rice, Royce, had two um, editions, two issues of this book. I believe the first one came out around 1997. I think the second one came out in 2012. I think. And there's another book, there are several books that I've looked at. Another one is uh, a book that was by a guy named Beard. And there was a fascinating study that he did. I'm trying to find it here. And it had to do with a financial interpretation, an economic interpretation of the Constitution of the United States. That's it. Okay, and this is Beard. Um, I'm trying to recall his full name. I don't have it in front of me. But he wrote it in 1913. 
and this was an article that appeared in the Ohio Star after Beard published this book. And you can get an idea of the you can get an idea of the sentiment of the people and just how myths certainly back then for the longest time have persevered. This was the banner headline in the Ohio Star. This is after this book and the economic interpretation of the Constitution was published. And what he did was he took these characters and he looked at just how elite and just how wealthy and just how rich they really were. I mean, these guys, by and large, were absolutely filthy rich and loaded. Washington, at the time, he was like Bill Gates as far as wealth. Yeah. He had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and, of course, people wonder, well, why was he surveying? Everybody talks about how he was such a surveyor. Well, he was surveying the land so he could sell it to his rich elite friends, primarily, keep a lot of it for himself, he was speculating. He was selling the land. And there was a wonderful book that is uploaded to the site, and it's called A Working Class Rebellion that I came across. And it's by a gentleman named Wife Holt. It's maybe 94 pages long, and it goes into a very in-depth study, despite its length. I mean, it would be great if it was maybe three times longer, but in this 96 or so pages, he just packs a whole lot of information in to the study of the Whiskey Rebellion. I'm not sure if it was a doctoral thesis, but... How how long ago was that written? You know, you you have any idea? uh, I believe it was written in 94, 1994. I'm not too sure, but it's up on the website. I believe it's a PDF. And it's under the reading, the reading material, and it should be a uh, working class rebellion, and, and you should be able to pull it up as a PDF. And yeah, I, got, into, I have so many books I want to read to my audience and to the show, and I, I find so bad. It's a struggle right now. So. Oh, I hear I hope, you. I hope it bounces back. It's one of those things. I hope it you know, goes a different direction. But yeah, I mean, once again, folks, there's he's not used to. Uh, Go to thinkofbeaten.com and look at the reading material. There's some wonderful oh, Absolutely, and there's a whole, certainly a whole lot of um, fascinating books and information, a bibliography on the on the perfidy and the um, and the uh, doings of the Jesuits over the over the uh, decades. That that certainly is a fascinating study in and of itself. Well, let's, let's, this, let's, let's say centuries, not decades. <laughs> Well, yeah, I should well centuries, but I mean I'm talking about the bibliography itself. Oh, okay, all right. The bibliography itself goes back to uh, well, I'm going to say about a century and a half. So just a whole lot of decades. Yeah, yeah of course. The, good timing because you know I just we, uh, at least since 1850, the papacy and the Jesuits have been intricately involved in the selection of what we call the president of the United States. Yes, indeed. I wanted to get back to the Ohio Star headline. Okay. This is this is what they wrote after they read this book exposing exposing the founders as the elites that they were. Okay. Scavengers, hyena like, desecrate the graves of the dead patriots we revere. Now Taft, who was president at the time, he slammed this book. And he held a soiree at the Waldorf Astoria with a whole bunch of his fellow swells. 
and just slammed the book. And Beard, he was finally hounded out of this professorship. I believe he was at Columbia. And this was probably around by by the end of World War One, nineteen seventeen, nineteen eighteen. He finally, you know, he finally got uh, he finally got thrown out of this professorship for his for his research. You know, I yeah. I hear about freedom of speech. Well, what about freedom after speech? <laughs> yeah. And and it's fascinating. And we've discussed this also, Michael. That isn't it ironic and and not just a little sad that so many of these patriots people who talk about First Amendment and freedom of speech are awfully eager to tar and feather and run out on the rail anybody who, who doesn't agree with their conclusions, opinions, uh, beliefs, or whatever. You know, and I've certainly noticed that too. And like I said, I noticed that in my in my email group at work. I found myself, you know, after I tried to turn people on to what's going on, you know, the, the red pill, Oh, and by the way, by the way, speaking of red pills, there is, and I don't know if you've seen this, up on Think or Be Beaten, I want to mention this. This, this is something that uh, Mishu did, and it's just, I just think it's brilliant. If you go up, there's one of the, one of the windows, if you pull up the main page, you'll see like little windows with tiny numbers in them. And I'm not sure exactly which one it is because I believe that they've sort of, they're constantly cycling, Okay. Uh-huh. There is one called Gallows Humor. I don't know if you've seen it. Go to Gallows Humor. And okay. there is there is a um there is a, a cartoon, an illustration that, that's that's quite tongue in cheek. Really uh it's a nice thumbnail of of what's going on. And you'll see an opening scene. It's a video, probably I don't know, maybe twenty minutes long, twenty five minutes long. Did you, you say opening? that this, this is on Think or Be Beaten? This is on Think or Be Beaten, yes. It's, okay. it's one of the, one of the uh, windows. You'll open it up, and you see the opening scene of this video where, from, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Matrix, where Morpheus and Neo are in the headquarters. Yeah. They're in, I believe, Morpheus's headquarters, and he's talking to Neo, giving him that fabulous, that I, what I consider to be a fabulous speech, famous speech, is you know you you know something's wrong. It's like a splinter in your mind. You just just can't put your finger on it. Do you want to take the red pill or do you want to take the blue pill? Well, he takes the pill, and instead of seeing the blurred vision where he goes sort of to the, the pods where he was one of the batteries providing the power to the machine. You see a blur, and it goes to a very famous comedian who I liken to a latter-day embodiment of Mark Twain, George Carlin. Oh, yeah. It's really pretty interesting. And, and all you listeners out there, check this out, because I think you'll get, you'll get a, a good, uh, put it this way, it's rather, it's rather edifying, you know. I loved it. Cool. Well, I'll, I will I'll look it up, and uh, I'm looking at it now, but I can't quite find it, so I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to look at. It. Yeah, there's so much information, folks. You could literally spend two years getting a PhD in history and how the world works just by this this website. They've done a masterful job. By the way, you should really support this website, thinkrebeat.com, and uh, you know if you're willing to donate a little bit of money, they'll give you some uh, different series, DVDs, and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, not DVDs, what they call them, uh, 
Alrighty. Where they were uh, offering um, like recordings, right? Yes. Well, there there are uh, recordings offered, MP3s. MP3s, and I don't know if there's any MP4s, but I believe there are MP3s, there are audios, and the yeah. money, it doesn't go in, it, it, basically what it does is it goes to the upkeep of the website. Yes, that's where it goes to. So it's it not goes like, to the upkeep there's no the money website. in this at all, folks. Nobody's making a dime off that. You know, my end, your end, or anybody's end. So. You know what, and, and you know something, <laughs> I am glad that that's it. It has to be because, that way, because, Glenn. Yeah. Because uh, there's that famous poem uh, um, by um, Jeffers, Be Angry at the Sun, where he says, and I know we've talked about this, the cold passion for truth hunts in no pack. That's right. You know, and I'm going to say also that the cold passion for truth, at least in my opinion, doesn't have a dollar sign attached to it. This has been a labor of love for all of us, really, involved with the website. I, I honestly think it's actually a work of God. The, you know, the way, the truth, and life. And if you look at it, I really believe there's been a God spirit in a man that drives him to want to know the truth and willing to at all costs. And um, so I was talking to a guy that I saw at the store today, at the grocery store that I know, um, and I said, listen, you know, I'm still doing my show and all that. And so, well, you know, is there any way to make money doing that? And I said, listen, you can't mix God with money, and you can't mix truth with money. If you want God and you want the truth, just forget about money. There's other ways to make money. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I've, dis- I've discussed this, too. I mean, Jesus, he, he went into the temple, and he slapped around the money changers, the lawyers, and the bankers. And I say, geez, what's not to like? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially when you go back now to these Federalists, and you're talking about guys like George Washington, and we're talking about bankers, and we're talking about land speculators, and we're talking about basically lawyers and who they were really serving, not only themselves, but their masters, and they were not very interested in the average state person back then. They, they didn't give a rat's rear end about the average common person. In fact, they viewed the average common person with contempt. And there are actually excerpts from the Anti-Federalists where do, uh, lawyers and, and bankers are specifically mentioned. I mean, for a long time I had a big misconception about people back then that I kind of deified all of them and put them on a pedestal and almost believe that people kind of floated around with angels' wings and strummed hearts. <laughs> but I've learned very starkly that human nature has been around, it has, never, it has not changed in thousands and thousands of years. And the people back then in the colonial era had every bit as much avarice, foibles, vices, faults, as we do today. I mean, they just didn't smell as good as we do. <laughs> That's right. Good. Yes, and they were wearing wigs and stretchy pants. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which, in, it's, which it's in itself should make you wonder about a man that's willing to wear a wig and stretchy pants, whether you should trust him or not, myself. Right, right. <laughs> and, and there's been, and, and among the myths are that the United States was founded on Christian principles. And it's very interesting, if you look at the Treaty of Tripoli, 
the Treaty of Tripoli, and this this was attempted. There was an Article 11 of the, the, the Treaty of Tripoli of seven, I believe it was 1794, if memory serves. And again, I don't want to get into this now, but I'll just touch upon it. And it was in Article 11, and this is what the Treaty of Tripoli said: "As the government of the United States of America is not, in any sense, founded on the Christian religion." as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslims, and as the said states never entered into any war act of hostility against any Muslim nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries. And of course, that sort of folds in with the Barbary pirates and letters of marquee and reprisal and you know, there was a, a very large money-making opportunity in Washington. He was really influenced, and, and I know I probably will incur the wrath of many people when I say this, but I don't think Washington was really the brightest knife in the drawer. Well, you will, you will find the wrath in this show. No, <laughs> no, I'm, the present company excluded, okay? <laughs> present company excluded. But he, Washington, was under great influence of Hamilton. Uh, Keith, Keith slams, uh, slams Jefferson as being sort of his, his whipping, whipping boy, so to speak, of, of, the, uh, of the Federalists and founders. I, I feel that way towards Hamilton primarily. Right. He was brilliant, you know, born in the West Indies, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he was like, and this is neither here nor there, this is just an interesting bit of... Um, of genealogy, he was quarter black. He was right. quarter African American, I believe, and he he studied in the West Indies, in the Indies, and he was a brilliant young law student. And he was going back and forth to, uh, um, if, if memory serves, I can certainly look into this and talk to this at some other time. He went back and forth to New York, and he was talking with the banksters, and it's believed that he was getting counsel from the banksters and that he was actually more working for the Brits. Because if you look at the, if you look at the, um, the dynamics, if you look at, at, at the influence that the banksters and the interests, especially the imports, had and the, and the uh, rum, the sugar, many of the goods that were going back and forth, I mean, bottom line is there was a lot of money involved. All right. And there was a Massachusetts Bay Colony note, which was probably the best money that at least the United States had ever seen. It was immune to inflation because it didn't have gold or silver undergirding it as much as it had commodities, leather, Rope, wool, sheep, corn, other crops. So as a result, you could have a Massachusetts Bay note and you could have it 10 years down the road and it would still be worth, say, you know, 10 hides of deer, you know, 50 bushels of corn, you know, 300 yards of rope, you know, and say two barrels of pine pitch. And that was one of the issues that the banksters had. They wanted to be able to inflate the money. They wanted to be able to 
speculate. That's one thing that Washington did. He actually speculated. You know, and there's certainly a story about how he founded Washington, D.C. In fact, there is a there is a couple of articles up on the website as well tracking the speculators where it goes and they, they talk about Washington and you know, I'm going to be blunt here. These founders were basically they were pretty much money-grubbing grifters. Yeah. That's really what they were. Bottom line, our founders were money-grubbing grifters and they stole millions of dollars from the people of this country. The way they wrote the Constitution was to ban ex post facto laws, and if memory serves, this is what Sentinel talks about in his letter, what is it, one of the ones I'm going to upload, he talks about the ex post facto laws and how these founders actually absolved, not only did they absolve themselves of their debt when they wrote the Constitution, they actually tweaked the law so they could embezzle, which is really what they did, they embezzled millions of dollars from their fellow citizens. Yeah. They were grifters, Michael. Uh, they were coiffed grifters. It's, it's the same old story uh, that's always been. Uh, if you look at... Uh, well, you know, okay, we go back to Washington, D.C. George Washington, he was one of the uh, major land speculators, a major landholder of what we now know as Washington, D.C. At the time, it was Rome, Maryland, along with the uh, the, the Carroll brother, mm-hmm. brothers in particular, uh, is it John Carroll, uh, I believe it was, or Carl Charles Carroll, wanted to whatever. These these two men and, and others, I mean, they were like the top five richest men in the country, and that means something. Mm-hmm. And they were working not only with uh, the monarchy in Britain and the banksters in London, but also Rome, because what it comes down to, because all roads do lead to Rome. Yes, and it's not it's not being bigotry, it's not me being uh, a bias, it's not being being prejudiced at evil. So if you just do your homework, you do your study, first thing you're going to realize is that the Vatican City is the most well, it's an independent nation state, uh, city state, and it uh, is the most wealthy nation in the world. Then comes the city of Rome, and uh, the, the monarchies in Western Europe, and who do you think financed? the settling of this country. It certainly wasn't uh, my dad or my great-great-great-great-grandfather's or yours. It was somebody else. <laughs> and that's just the way it is, and nothing's really changed. Well, that's and, true, and they get into the whole, there's the whole matter of what the informer found out about the, uh, the Magna Carta and the Pope, and, and there's a whole story there. But I wanted to get back quick, quick to the um, Treaty of Tripoli. Okay. It was uh, 1797, I believe, and there was some damage control done. The elites did try to cover their tracks because people were reading this, and they found out, people of the time found out that, wow, they're saying that America wasn't founded on the Christian faith. You know, of course, that flies in the face of the myth. Mm-hmm. So there was another 1805 treaty, really a treaty in name only. Uh, that's kind of how I'm reading it. I mean, I'm going to need to look into this a little bit more, but they, they say here, and of course Wikipedia, you know, it's kind of a flip of the coin. You really don't know what you're getting with Wikipedia. It's good for dates, but they have their biases as well. And sure. Many, many times I've, I've uh, I'll just put it this way, I've been, I've been a little PO'd at, at Wikipedia, and 
you're not going to put it this way. When they ask for donations, I'm really not too enthusiastic to give them any money. <laughs> That's okay. They don't. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so they're saying that a, a second treaty superseded the 1796 treaty. But I'm thinking that there was just as much damage control because there was there there were several articles written saying, oh, no, 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 that's not what it meant or that's not what it said, when it really clearly did. I think there was a moment of candor there where the, these these elites really did admit, well, okay, you know, let's, we have a we can make a boatload of money here with these Muslims. Let's just kind of let's just kind of lay it out on the line here, and let's just kind of you know let's let's give it to them straight for once, and show them that we're really sincere about their religion. They're, we're sincere about their beliefs. This way, hey, we can we can stuff more money into our pockets. Interesting. Really, that's, 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 that's another aspect too that I'm starting to get. Uh, I haven't got the the information yet. But, you know, I did mention the papacy, and I mentioned uh, basically the Roman Empire and uh, England. But, okay, let's, we forgot all about Islam. And, by the way, and we talk about Turkey, and we talk about the Ottoman Empire, and we forgot about how powerful it was back then and influential it was in its own yeah. elements into this country and the settling of, uh, of the Western Hemisphere and other places like Africa. So... There is that element. I, I wish we had more information to go by that because it's clearly they were working hand in hand as they are today. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I in in my studies, I've come to conclude that if the founders of this country really wanted us to be free today, they would have modeled the Constitution more along the lines of the Swiss cantons. If you look at the nation of Switzerland today, it's probably, it's arguably the freest nation on earth. Interesting. The way the people, the way the people have a say in the way their government is run, the relationships between the, the cantons, and I, I have but, used this analogy before where there was, years ago, there was a live demonstration, sort of an interactive demonstration at, I believe it was Peabody Museum of Natural History in New Haven, about an hour hour to the west of me, where you could do a simulation on, say, the herbivores and the carnivores. And if you had too many herbivores, you know, they'd eat too much, they'd eat too many plants, they would would basically starve out, and of course your carnivores, being higher up in the food chain, they'll starve out too. If you had too many carnivores and not enough herbivores, you know, you're going to have, sort of have the inverse, whereas, you know, okay, they're going to eat all the herbivores, now they're, they're going to starve as well. But what happens if you slightly tweaked it so it took far longer for the intended result to occur? This was the analogy that this guy Royce used, and I thought it was a brilliant analogy, that the founders of this country, they knew full well what they were doing, they wanted a strong central government, and they set this system up and they tweaked it so that long after they shuffled off the mortal coil, the ultimate system of tyranny that they really wanted would be in place over the horizon. So what did, what did they do? They came up with things like a Judiciary Act. They gave the Supreme Court justices terms for life. If you look at the signals, if you look at the signposts, you'll realize that what we have today 
was fully intended to happen. Absolutely. I don't think there was anything that could have been done about it. Well, I, 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 I know it sounds kind of defeatist, but when you look at it in a pragmatic way, you're looking at they're masterful at conquering. The well, world. they were, and I and I look at I look <laughs> at what what the what I look at what the Bible says about principalities, not flesh and blood, because that's truly what we're fighting against. Right. There's a spiritual war going on in our midst right now. We're right in the middle of a massive spiritual war. That's, that is the, the true battle, but once you get down to it, because once you realize, okay, the Word of God tells us that the, that the final empire, that would last for, uh, for two and a half thousand years, would be the Roman Empire. We're in it, we're part of it, whether we like it or not. Yeah. You know, we look at the, what's going on today, we look at uh, geopolitics, and that if you want to say, we want to go to Libya or Afghanistan or uh, Iraq, people think that we, the United States of America unilaterally invaded it. Now they needed permission, not only from the UN, but NATO and all the other forces that be, uh, the banking in Rome, uh, <laughs> the monarchy in Western Europe, to allow it to happen. We have been... I really believe that we, the people of the United States, are the cannon father for the Roman Empire. That's what it's been for the past, since World War II at least, if not longer. I mean, let's face it, we've been in war for uh, every year of our existence, except for about 20, something like that. 20. There is, in fact, I I uploaded a uh, a roster of years that the United States has been at war, and it's, it's certainly in the vast... Most of the time, like 80, 90% of the time the United States has been in existence, we've been, we've been in some kind of conflict. We truly are a warrior nation. Absolutely. We are a warrior nation. And if people understood, really, especially people in the military today that, that volunteer and, and sign up and, and, and understood, really, what wars are truly fought for, I don't know if they'd be as eager to, to join I mean, I understand that they can get money and scholarships, and of course, with the economy being as crummy as it is today, you know, and I see it where I work. I see the conditions. It's basically a race to the bottom as a, as a shop steward, like I said. I, I see these corporations, and that, that's really, you know, the people that run this country don't run for office. It's the corporations, truly, truly the corporations. And I see it, you know, working for General Dynamics, which is about as big as they come, yeah, you know, I I can see the the trends of recent years, and it's it's truly it's it's frightening. It's 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 really scary. Where these young kids coming in today, they don't get pensions. No, step step right up and take your chances in the in the Wall Street casino, four hundred one ks. I mean, how how much time is it going to be until they're basically uh, hijacked and 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 the money taken? You know, I look at Social Security, you just sort of look at this construct that's been, been, been built up around us, and you wonder just how long it's going to last. As long as, as long as they want it. Because when you realize about Social Security that it's, quote-unquote, a gift. Yes, that's and, true. And, and, the 19... and, our, and our taxes don't pay for any of it. That's a gift. Yeah, nope. Yes. So every day, it's irony of irony, I'm on disability because of the MS. I used to work for Norfolk Southern. I talked to you about this prior to the show and all that. Yes. Yep. You know, I'm a blue-collar guy. I've worked all my life in blue-collar jobs and all that. I know about the union. I come from northwest Ohio. And, you know, I know about unions. So, um, and I've seen that systematically being destroyed and, and a secure 
Plugar jobs being taken away. So when you look at it, you go, well, what is it all about? Are we, are we truly a, an independent, autonomous empire? Are we an empire nation, really? We're not, behaving, we're not behaving like it. We're systematically allowing this country to be drained, destroyed. And so then you, you got to ask yourself, well, who's we then? Because if you and I, Eric, aren't doing it, who's doing it? Who's making these decisions? And why is things, you know, then it goes all back to this whole thing about this grand Babylonian desire of the, the Tower of Babylon and the Roman Empire, and this whole idea of the New World Order, which is nothing more than the Old World Order. You could find it if through the Jesuits. I, I want to explain something. I know that you grew up a Roman Catholic, and I talk a lot about Rome and Catholicism. I don't attack the average Roman Catholic. My sister is a Roman Catholic. Doesn't like what I have to say. Doesn't want to talk to me, but I'm not attacking her. <laughs> but the leadership, the papacy, the Jesuits have hijacked. And I've never, you know, let's face it, the Roman Catholic Church, but also her daughter churches, the Protestant churches, have not behaved very well at all. But when we look at the leadership and what it's all about, and oh my gosh, it's full of bankers, it's full of philosophers, it's full of Satanists, it's full of all these people that have a, a different design than you and I have. They don't care about us. They care about their group. And we've learned in the Bible, it says the, the dragon gives it his power. The Satan is using this system to take over. He thinks he's taking over. It won't succeed because if you look at the statue of Daniel and his ten toes, and you hear all different interpretations, but if you just think about a body, the very end of it is your toes and how it's miry, it's, it's, it's it's iron and miry clay, it's, they're not going to succeed. But they're going to do their damnedest, and they're going to make a lot of us suffer. Well, that's the process. Sure. And so yep. we have to decide what is the real battle and who are we, we're real allegiances. Now, let's go back to the anti-federalists, Eric. It's a really important issue, and I hope that we uh, carry on with this and uh, uh, a few other shows, because people are going to ask, well, who cares? If there's nothing we can do about it, and it was all designed, predestined, or whatever. They already had everything figured out. Why is it so important to study the anti-federalists? The anti-federalists actually had an answer and a warning, and people need to understand exactly what actually happened to us. Because it's not only spiritual, but it's not only political. It's... it's legality, legalism, and the land speculations and just land grabs and enslavement of us. The dynamics are so great. And these folks back then were warning us and saying, listen, if we abandon our, the state's autonomy, if be our freedom is, is, is statehood, if we centralize all this stuff, we're going to lose big time. And they were right. And if you look at today, uh, in the summer, uh, we had this whole thing, this nonsense about abandoning the Confederate flag. And when we look at the, the memory holding and erasing, recreating history, and we, you know, here's just one little element that if people just kind of thought about, because most people associate it with racism, and there's a valid point, but if you really think about it, what was it really about that's happening in the Civil War? What was the ultimate issue that many of the folks were fighting over? That's leadership. Not the Freemasons and Jesuits and all that kind of I'm talking about what were the average people fighting for? And they were fighting for this notion of some kind of autonomy and independence. They didn't like the idea of the federal government, the North, 
basically swallowing them up and telling them to do what they could do. <laughs> it was a state, yeah, I mean, for the average individual, it was, a, it was states' rights. And, of course, there's a whole underlying intrigues with the foreign foreign uh, powers and everything else. I mean, there's oh, yeah. so, many, so many different... So many different factors, but I wanted to briefly mention that I'm also I also have a blue collar background because I was a I was a pipe fitter in the shipyard for about ten years, so I also right. you know I also have that background as well. So I've worn a few different hats in my day. But as far as as far as, far as the anti-federalists go, it's it's very true. And really, the, these anti-federalist individuals they were not shy. And if you read the anti-federalists, and I've said this before. And Gordon has commented on this as well. If you read the, if you read the Federalist Papers, which were basically written by three elites with very very deep pockets, it's extremely foggy. There's a lot of legal legalese and and, and bloviating fog. Whereas if you read the Anti-Federalists, as a rule, I'm going to say the vast majority of these Anti-Federalists wrote very clearly, very concisely. The average person found these articles and essays and letters and papers much easier to understand. Because I've read I've read all the anti Federalist papers. And I'll put I'm sorry, I've read all the Federalist papers. I have not I have not even begun to have read all the uh anti Federalist papers because there were so much more publications of anti-federalists because like I said I mean everybody from the guy sweeping the gutters on the street to governors of uh, governors of states and mayors were writing against the constitution you know and you look at the you look at the wide swath of it but if you if you look at these these papers they were very easy to understand as a rule they were much clearer they were written in, in everyday language so the average person could read these and understand just what was happening. You know, here we had a fledgling country who had maybe six or seven years of true... The, the America, really, this, this country, as far as I'm concerned, has really only enjoyed in its entire life probably six or seven years of true freedom. Now, they like to call it the land of the free and the home of the brave. It is unfortunately devolving into the land of the fee, and the home of the slave. Well, I think we're already there, don't you think? I mean, oh, at, yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm being charitable. I mean, people don't understand that the serfs of, of the medieval era paid less overall in taxes and fees and tributes than we do today. Yeah. You know, there's, I believe there's a, a certain, there's, there's a lot of different reasons for that. You know, you were saying, you know, the, the new world order is the old world order. I agree with that. It's it's the old world order with a high-tech overlay, pretty much. Oh, very much so. It pretty much is. It's, uh, I think it's really important to talk about this stuff. I think it's really important to address it. Um, people are, you know, once again, people are going to say, well, well, what can we do about this? Or, Well, the first thing is we know, uh, and, and to, if you want to really... If you want to make change, if you want to uh, deal with a problem, we first have to identify with that problem. Part of the huge problem is, is that we believe in things that aren't real. And we need to let go of these false, I call them idols. Whether mm-hmm. it's the idol of the state, idol of the piece, you know, uh, the Constitution. I mean, what is the Constitution? Does it really free you? 
uh, here's a question. Was it the Constitution? Was it the will of God? And space and time and distance? And luck? A little bit, you know what I mean? What really kept you free, you know? Do you really believe that a piece of paper kept you free? Is that does that override God? I hope not. I hope you don't believe that. That knowing that and putting maybe our faith back into the true religion of God. Now I know it sounds religious and you're you talk to you listen to a guy that two years ago didn't even believe. But you know what I mean? I have really had uh, you know a little bit of my personal journey and it's been a knockdown, drag out journey all the way to get to this point to say, yeah, there is a God in the Bible. And I'm not talking about church, and I'm telling, I'm telling you to go to church. That's what you're going to find. It's, a, it's, it's really, there's a God, and they really have to fall on your face, and you start reading that Bible, and you start really asking them to wake you up, and part of waking you up is you're going to realize that just about absolutely everything in your life that's coming from the quote-unquote authorities, whether it's the media, um, the leadership in churches, the public school, your et cetera, uh, it's, it's a little bit of truth, a whole, lot, a whole bunch of lies. And you really do have a responsibility to distinguish between the truth and the lie. And not to get all, I'm going to choose a side as far as man-made. I'm not gonna it's not about a group. It's about are you going to choose God or not. Are you going to choose God or not? That's what it really comes down to. And then you say, well, Mike, that's your interpretation. And I said, well, yeah, fair enough. Go down your journey. Ask God. He'll lead you. Because believe me, I didn't want God. I had no desire. I was a pretty rough, you know, I've shared this with people on the show. I was a drunk or a drunkard. I, a fifth of Jack Daniels a day. I was a musician, an artist, womanizer. I had no desire. After my stint, you know, growing up as a Mormon and going on a mission, I had no desire for God. And I've really come to this full circle, more than full circle, realizing that there is God. And then mm-hmm. it's really the choice about him. And if, if we don't choose him again, and this is not religion, this is not I'm going to become a Roman Catholic or a Mormon or a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Buddhist or a, uh, a Muslim. Are you going to choose God or not? God's the one who protects us, keeps us sustaining and going. It's not our... Not us. If we if we put our trust in men, this is what we get. We already know what the answer is, you know. Yeah, isn't that fascinating too? That uh, who who was it? I, I somebody I because my my Bible memory here is very fuzzy. There was somebody who who went to God and said that they want they they want a king. They don't want you, Lord. And He says, Okay, fine. Then this is what's going to happen to them. This is what they're going to lose. This is how they're going to get screwed here, and this is the kind of trouble and pestilence they're going to run into. And, you know, he just laid out what was going to happen when you reject God. And voila, that's what we have today. <laughs> just a yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. It's a repetition no, of it's, history. It's, it's all been done before, and, you know, Solomon certainly spoke well to that. And yeah. here's, I, I did want to read uh, some of Essay 18 where, you know, to just to give you an example of how how specific and pointed and sincere and frankly PO these guys were and I'll use you know Sentinel as an example here and he was from Pennsylvania and it's believed that it was um oh let's see Sentinel was believed to be Samuel Bryan 
from Pennsylvania, and this is, uh, I'll, I'll just read a paragraph here. However, to the honor of Pennsylvania, a very large majority of her citizens view the subject in its true life, I'm sorry, in its true light, and spurn the shackles prepared for them. They will in due time convince the aspiring despots and apparitious office hunters that their dark intrigues and deep-concerted schemes of power and aggrandizement are ineffectual, that they are neither to be duped nor dragooned out of their liberties. The conspirators, I know, insolently boast that their strength in the other states will enable them to crush the opposition in this. But let them not build upon that which is in its nature precarious and transient, which must fail them the moment the delusion is dispelled. Their success in the other states is the fruit of deceptions that cannot be long supported. Indeed, the audacity and villainy of the conspirators on, one, on the one hand and the frantic enthusiasm and easy credulity of the people on the other in some of the states, however well attested and recorded in the faithful page of history, will be treated by posterity as fabulous. Unquote. Now, there were newspapers that did try to print what the Anti-Federalists were saying, and a lot of them, are, well, a number of them, were hounded out of business. Um, their, 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 um, their shops and their, their offices were trashed. Uh, they were sicked on, basically, by a lot of tools. You know, all kinds of disparaging articles were written about them. And a number of there were there were a number of newspapers that were actually shut down. So here here are these these individuals that we hold in such high esteem. Oh well, yeah, they wrote the Constitution, they wrote the Bill of Rights. And well, guess what? These characters were actively seeking to stance the liberties of the people yeah. when they wanted to communicate with each other and learn the true nature of this plan that was being crammed down their throats, basically. Despots, uh, yeah, and and yeah. we and you know and, and yeah, and here's another thing too, Michael. I mean, I you know I I try to go about my business. I try to you know pay the bills, keep the roof over the head, put the food on the table. My wife and I are involved in animal rescue. I have a very uh, soft spot in my heart for cats. I were involved in feline animal rescue. It's a long story, but I just um, I'm just sold on kitty cats. I love them to pieces. Just like Keith and his birds. You know, I, I love cats like he loves birds. And, you know, I, I try not to, I, I really try not to, to obsess or dwell on a lot of these things, but they're, at some place in my mind, they're there. You know, I don't really go after all the other stuff that's been bandied about with, the, you know, the aliens and all the, 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 I mean, I used to study all that stuff and, and okay, fine, it's interesting, but, you know, what does that have to do with the price of heating oil? Let me just put it that way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, it, it, it's interesting, diversions and all that kind of thing, but I've, I've kind of come to a station in my life where I'm really more concerned and worried about the big stuff. I mean, okay, fine. This is history I can actually lay my hands on. It's concrete. It's specific. And it certainly deals with what we're up against today because I'm telling you people, believe me when I tell you this, we're headed for a new feudalism. I hate to rain on your parade, but our country is rapidly becoming a third world brooch motel. I'll just put it that way. That's I'm trying to I'm trying to keep my language along the lines of a family show here. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's my show, so don't worry about it. I have all, all sorts right. of books on. So, uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, 
and there's and I've you've heard probably if you people have heard me swear once in a while, once at least my culture. I'm human just like everyone else. But uh, you know, the thing is, we have, yeah, I mean, it is. I think they have systematically taken away our history, and it's so important to know our history, to know who we are, where we're at. It has so we to can be. know where we're going. Absolutely, and they've taken the true history away from us. And so it's really a struggle right now for uh, those who care. They're prompted by the Spirit of God, I believe, to gather that information. It's the same old story. A generation before is that way, uh, five generations before that way. Uh, You know, in the 1900s, uh, or 1800s, it was that way. Uh, There's always been that small group of people that care enough to share the truth with others. It's just enough, even if we make no difference in this today, changing the world, at least we... Somebody's documenting what's really going on, the history, that for those who care, that love the truth, the way, and the life, will go and find it and say, oh, that's the way it is. And, you know, a lot of people will find this despairing, disparaging and negative and hard to hear, but that's the reality. That's the truth. Yes. The important important message in all this, Eric, is to give up your false idols. Get things right. Get right with God. Get right with the people in your life. Get right with the things that you care about, your community. Get right with your reality. Now, we go back, we talk about things like Bigfoot and aliens. And I think, yeah, in a way, it's a good distraction, but it all leads back to something dark and sinister that is, many times it's coming from these same group of people that are lying to you, to repressing you, and trying to change your history and put you in this Orwellian world. And so... I think it's well, good to know that. Yeah, and I've I've had my dealings with the dark side, and you know I don't want to go there. Um, I I you know don't want to get into this now, but I lost a very dear friend to the dark side, and I've discussed this in the email group. Uh, she was a very dear friend of mine, and basically she was I'll just put it this way: she was consumed by a coven. That's you very. Know, it's very common, and I, I was very surprised how common it is. It, it's it's scary. I had no idea, and I was around people like that. And I had no idea. That's how ignorant and dumb I was, like four or five years ago. Totally clueless. <laughs> people around me. I was sitting in tables and chairs around people that were those people you're talking about, and I'm like, what am I? Uh, what the heck? Really? You know. Uh, I don't know. It's, 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 you know, the world is a very fascinating place. It's a very dark place. I think it's important that we talk about it, that we warn other people about it, that we share the truth, the history. Uh, I really want you to come back on. Uh, I know it's probably not what you expected, the way this turned out. I think it's a good show. I'm going to share it with Keith. I'm going to share it with Think of Rebeat and see if they'll put it up. Gordo. Okay, that'd, that'd be great. And I, I want to give another shout out to Mashu and Keith and Gordo. They've they've really done some great work. And I'm I'm frankly I'm I'm honored to be involved with this. I I, um, I love talking with them and collaborating with them. And um, you know we've never met face to face, but I consider them good friends. And one of these days, um, I'd like us all to get together and meet. I think that would be the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. I consider them distant uh, relatives, like. Uh, Cousins, big cousins. Like if you had a family reunion, and you had like your older cousins or nephews or uncles and all that getting together and having a conversation, I'm like, wow, this is what I missed all my life. 
Yes. This is what uh, you know. A family that's aware and intelligent and knows what's going on is willing to share. Gets there in the family reunion and talks this way. And like, and the old the old thing that I'm learning, I probably failed at it t- tonight. As far as because I'm excited to talk to you, Derek. It's been a long time. Uh, but this whole thing about learning to listen and learn to yeah, let's see, uh, learning to listen and listen to learn. And how important go. it is in the human condition for us to develop that. And we have lost that dramatically thanks to television, the way school is run, the way our society is run. There's not enough continuity, consistency. Just having these types of conversations that people can just listen to. Don't and forget learn. the ubiquitous iPhone either. My, yeah. wife and I were, my wife and I were at a wedding Oh, a couple of years ago, and you know there were there were maybe six or seven people at our table, including us, and there were you know maybe sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, some eighteen year old somethings, and my wife and I, you know, were well into our fifties, as I said, and and uh, some other uh, couple about a little bit older than us, and we were talking. It was a classic example of of how things have become. Just for me, it was a little snapshot, you know. I mean, you know, you're going to run into different situations no matter where you go, but you had the kids, they were tight, they were texting each other on their iPhones and chuckling when while we older older folks were actually talking face-to-face. I know. <laughs> and developing personal relationships and all that, which is something yeah. that it's just a real struggle for most people, whether they realize it's not to get relationships, they really struggle. So why is that? Well, it's, it's it's become very. I guess it's become very convenient, very easy. And I and I work with I work with a number of young people, and these young kids they're, they're very very smart when it comes to the computers. They really are. It's it's oh, amazing. Yeah. I I want to ask some of them. Geez, you know, when you slid down the chute, did the uh, mouse and the keyboard come out with you too? <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing because you know the nature of my work for the most part is very technical. You know, but. Uh, What's nice is the, the union component is very interesting because I get to I get to deal with um, with my coworkers on on a um, on a personal level, and of course you know when when uh, when do most people if you're a union steward or shop steward when do most pe- when are people coming to you most of the time when their asses are on fire? Oh yeah, uh, you know and of course there is the you know, handing out of memos and 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 uh going to the meetings and everything else but it's it's certainly it's added a dimension to my day to day my work a day uh, routine that's that's really uh i don't know frankly kind of welcome well i hate to do this uh my friend eric the blacksmith uh but we're going to have to end this because i have to of all things uh uh go get my son I know it's really late, but I have to go get him, pick him up, believe it or not. I get him oh, no. I, uh, his, mother, his mother worked with me to allow me to have this. And uh, I just want to say, and you might not feel this way, I don't know if you do or not, but this is one of the best conversations, recorded conversations that I've had, believe it or not. And this is the way I wanted it to be, the show. And I have to bring it apart because of my own limitations, my own knowledge and abilities, but to have a conversation with someone. It might not seem like you really accomplished anything, but I believe we did, and that is having an honest conversation that most people just don't experience in their lives. So with that, if there's anything that you'd like, final words that you'd like to leave with us before we end this. Oh, let me see. I am going to, I think I'll do that, Micah. And by the way, um, back at you, I've enjoyed this thoroughly. This is, uh, 
this is really good. And I'd love to I'd love to talk with you again. Yes. Um this is going to be let's see if I can find something really, really quick here. Um, I believe it was from H. L. Mencken. I think he said elections are advanced auctions on goods already stolen. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's very good, very insightful. When was this? When was this written? I'm not sure. H. L. Mencken. This probably was written maybe in the 30s, the 20s, somewhere around there, the 40s. You know, the reason I ask that, I'm starting to ask that, is because I've noticed, well, and I'm a victim maybe of even, myself. Maybe even more recently. I'll have to, I'll have to check, but go, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just the, the art of using language and the words, and, you know, as time has gone on, our ability to communicate. I read somebody that wrote something 100 years ago and compared to something today. They were so much more flowery and more expressive with their abilities to communicate through the written word we're not, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's really nice okay well, for friends, let's stay Michael. on stay okay. on there and I'm just going to end the recording and the hey, day, God uh, bless okay but just yeah, yeah thank you so let's stay on for a second here thank, uh, thank you once again that was this is Eric the blacksmith you can find his work on thinkofrebeaten.com I know we mentioned we said two dozen times and I don't think there's not enough times to mention it. I think Eric is really doing a service to us, whether he realizes that or not. And uh, I've heard that from other folks, too, on this show who said the same things in the chat room and all that kind of stuff. So, Anyways, folks, take care. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.